the Slaughter in May podcast. Hello everybody and welcome to this Slaughter in May podcast which deals with the Bank of England's Covid Corporate Financing Facility or CCFF. I'm Gillian Fairfield and I'm joined today by our Head of Debt Capital Markets, Matthew Tobin, and by another partner in our financing team who's been very active on CCFF transactions, Ed Fife. Matthew, you acted for HM Treasury in establishing this scheme. I think you've both spent a lot of time last month or so helping many of our clients access the funding of the scheme. Yes, I, I don't think we had any imagination that we were going to be helping so many clients when we set up the scheme. I think to date, uh, we've advised up to 50 or 60 clients in relation to the scheme. Do you want to start with the very basics, which is what is the CCFF? Yeah, so the CCFF is a is a commercial paper funding scheme, which is actually based on, on one of the schemes that the Bank of England, together with the Treasury, uh, devised during the last financial crisis. Um, essentially, it's, it's a way to um, help companies with funding by purchasing commercial paper, which those companies are issuing. Uh, that can be under either an existing commercial paper programme for companies which have existing commercial paper programmes or under a new commercial paper programme, which has been the case for the majority of our clients. It's worth picking up on that, isn't it? Because I think this isn't, strictly speaking, a committed facility. So the Bank of England is able, under this facility, to uh, subscribe for, for, for debt that's been issued by, by um, companies, but it, it doesn't formally and enter into any commitment to do so. And it, and it could, in theory, also put in place uh, additional uh, conditions to, to, to subscription in the future. So it doesn't have to, but it sets up the mechanism whereby they can. Now, you've both mentioned eligibility. Um, who is able to access this scheme? There are essentially three criteria, of which one has received much more attention, uh, both in terms of the work we've been doing and in terms of uh, the wider public than, than the other two. So the first is that the relevant company must make a material contribution to the UK economy. Um, There are various illustrations that the bank has given as to how a company might do that. But actually, in most cases that we've looked at, this hasn't been the key issue. Um, The second criterion, which has been a real issue for which a lot of companies have been focused on and has been a focus for the wider press, is uh, that a company must demonstrate that pre-crisis, so the debt, the date is the 1st of March 2020, the relevant company was investment grade and in sound financial health. And we should probably come to talk a little bit more about that because that's a really important part of this scheme. The last criterion, the third criterion, is that a company, the relevant company, has been adversely affected by the, the virus which uh, hasn't been an issue for most of the clients we've been advising to to demonstrate that that is indeed the case. Mm -hmm. So in terms of demonstrating investment grade status, how do companies go about doing that? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a few ways of doing it. I mean, obviously, if you're a company that already has a public rating or or had one on the 1st of March, that's a very straightforward um, uh, demonstration that you, you have that status, whether that's a short-term or long-term rating. I think the, the bank published various illustrations of, of what it would be looking for, but, but 
but I think any rating um, from one of the major ratings, so Standard and Poor's, Moody's, Fitch, DBRS, uh, those are all acceptable. Uh, clearly, they're larger. There's a large universe of companies who weren't rated at that point, and and for them, there's been a bit more process involved in in managing to access the scheme. So, the options for that are either to try and obtain a rating now, um, which can be done as a, a private credit rating that can be done on a pretty expedited basis by several of the agencies. Um, we've seen a lot of people going to both Fitch and DBRS for that purpose, or uh, you can rely on uh, the ratings of your banks if your banking syndicate is willing to uh, confirm that they, for their purposes, uh, they, you are um, investment grade and, and you get a you know, sufficient number of them uh, and you know, they are major UK and, and international banks. I think, I mean, as Ed's been saying, the bank has been pretty flexible, actually, in terms of how you demonstrate investment grade status. And one point of practice has been that the bank has been willing to look at eligibility requests from companies before they've actually established a commercial paper program so that companies have been uh, getting an in-principle confirmation from the bank before and, and an expected issuance limit before they've um, actually done the work in establishing a program. Just for completeness, we, we should mention while we're on eligibility, there are certain categories of company that are uh, excluded, um, mainly sort of regula regulated financial institutions, so banks and building societies uh, and insurance companies. What, what's the position on guarantees and security? The, I mean, the, the core requirement is that the commercial paper is, must rank a, a senior unsubordinated debt. Um, there's no requirement to provide security, and, and, and that's even true where, as a, a, an issuer, your other senior debt is secured. But the, the position on guarantees is, is a bit more fact dependent. It's also been an area of some developing practice. The thing that's always been true and remains true is that where the issuer itself is not the primary entity in the group, the Bank of England will require the primary entity to provide a guarantee. And where it's an overseas company, that will need to be supported by a legal opinion covering certain key matters. The area that's been a bit more of a developing practice area has been the question of companies for whom investment grade status is dependent on upstream guarantees from their material subsidiaries. For many of the companies who are applying for eligibility on the basis of bank confirmations of investment grade status, those banks in their revolving credit facilities or other working capital facilities will be relying for their credit analysis on upstream guarantees from key subsidiaries. And the question has been, do those subsidiaries also need to guarantee the CCFF programme? I think the answer on that for the most part has been yes, and, and many companies have gone down that route. I think we are seeing a developing practice where companies have been able to persuade the bank that um, the, as long as the issuer itself is the primary entity, they don't need to provide upstream guarantees. And there has been a change in the Bank of England form that supports that analysis. And I guess it's worth noting that there is a requirement if you do have your ordinary debt is guaranteed or benefits from security, then there is a requirement to tell the bank about that, um, even if it's not proposed that the commercial paper should be guaranteed or should benefit from security. What about issuance limits? So the, the bank provides for each issuer a, a, a limit which uh, is 
I think the maximum amount that the bank would be willing to subscribe for, as we've said earlier, I mean, technically the bank never has to subscribe. There are some public guidelines the bank has issued. Um, so for an A1 credit, they've given indicative guidance of £1 billion, uh, £600 million for A2 credits, and then for A3 credits and unrated companies, a £300 million limit. But that's just sort of in principle guidance. And in practice, the bank will do a case by case analysis um, and in, in, in many cases will provide for potentially a lower limit than those those um, that guidance would suggest. Or in some cases, uh, it has been willing to, to look to provide a higher limit um, that sometimes results in a, in a lengthier approval process um, and potentially you know, some discussions with the bank. So in terms of timing, um, I mean, you've mentioned a longer approval process in this instance, but generally speaking, how long does it take to access the CCFF? One of the key things from, about the CCFF from a policy perspective is that it's simple and it's quick. In terms of the process, there are two strands to that. One is the bank's process in terms of getting confirmation of eligibility through. And that has varied a little bit in terms of different clients, but it's typically a matter of one or two weeks to get back. Uh, the second has been the, the process actually um, to set up the commercial paper programme. Um, and that has taken a, a, a roughly about the same time, I'd say two to three weeks in terms of setting up a programme for clients that didn't originally have a programme in place. Um, there are other parties to a commercial paper programme. In, in the case of an ordinary commercial paper programme, there'll be a number of dealers. But for these CCFF programmes, there's, there's typically one dealer, which is one of the relationship banks. The second party is an agent. Um, the agent um, uh, is necessary from a practical perspective to deal with, with issuance and payments under the, the commercial paper programme. And again, that's, tip, that's tended to be an existing bank relationship um, because that avoids the need for lengthy KYC. The, the other bit probably to pick up if you're thinking about this is if you are likely to have to have guarantees from companies overseas, you, you need to think through that approvals process. Those companies will need to provide a guarantee, sorry, um, not only a guarantee, but, but legal opinions will be needed to be provided for those companies. Uh, and the Bank of England has a, a form that it's published for that. Uh, and, and more generally, I think on approvals, uh, from the director's perspective of, of the, the main issuer, you, know, you need to be thinking about um, not just taking this debt on uh, as a liquidity matter, but 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 actually, how how is this going to be paid off? Are we comfortable that once we exit this time of global crisis, that there'll be an opportunity to refinance and repay the debt? And so, carrying your internal processes alongside all this is is just another thing that needs to be factored into the process. So, in terms of uh, documentation process, um, I mean, I guess the key question that a lot of people would be wondering is, what exactly is a company signing up to here? I mean, what are the contractual terms of the programmes? Yeah, and I think yeah, Matthew's already talked a bit about who's involved, and, and that follows through really into to what the documents look like as well. Um, there are kind of two separate suites of documents. There's the, the programme documents, which are based on the kind of ICMA market standard forms. Uh, and so you have a dealer agreement, which um, 
as an issue, you, 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 know, you do need to consider that contains quite a lot of representations um, on things, often on things like sanctions, anti-corruption, uh, anti-money laundering that, that may need some negotiation. It also contains uh, representations on, on material adverse effect, material litigation uh, and disclosure requirements. So that, from a commercial perspective, that, that's often the document that actually takes the most kind of thought and work. Um, there are then also agency agreements and, and other program documents that support this. So the, the a deed of covenant, a guarantee if you have one, uh, the form of the global note that is that is the, 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 the commercial paper instrument when issued. But those are pretty uncontroversial normally. And the other side of it is the documents that you have to enter into with the Bank of England itself. Um, the particular one to note there is the uh, CCFF undertaking and confidentiality agreement, which is pretty non-negotiable in terms of our experience with the banks. And the, the point to note about that is that that contains strict confidentiality undertakings, which restrict disclosure of the issuer's participation in the CCFF or, or the limits or issuances under the CCFF. What about other business restrictions? I mean, I think there have been some rumours in the market about are there restrictions on, for example, things like dividends or M&A activity or any restrictions around executive pay? Yeah, it's, it's not a totally straightforward question to answer. Um, I mean, the, the simple answer is that the primary documentation suite that the Bank of England has published doesn't contain any restrictions like that. The ICMA forms don't contain them. The Bank of England hasn't made any announcements that those sorts of restrictions are required. And um, that, that I think is consistent with the experience we've generally seen. Uh, clearly in other jurisdictions, there are restrictions and you know, there is a strong element of this that is a, a political element that the, the, the bank is, um, has made this facility available in order to support um, companies in the UK. And so, uh, and it does reserve the right, as we've said at all times, not to subscribe. And so it's not inconceivable that in particular circumstances, the bank could consider um, putting those sorts of limits in. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's um, something that, that um, we may yet see. But, but to date, it's, it's certainly not been announced as, as, as a part of the, the scheme. So just one final thing that I wanted to touch on was the question of announcements. Um, now, clearly, for some companies, they're going to see this as good news. Um, other companies will approach it on a need to know basis. But what do you think about how companies are generally approaching this? As you say, Gillian, there's been a real variety, actually, in terms of what companies have done. So some companies have, have worried about the stigma of, of accessing government funds and have not wanted to say anything about their participation in the CCFF. Um, and I think I think there are a lot of companies actually that fall within that category of not, not feeling it's necessary to make any sort of announcement at all. And clearly, as I said before, if companies want to make an announcement, they need to think about the confidentiality restrictions in the documentation with the bank. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fair to say, I mean, there, there is an exception where you're obliged by law to make the announcement. And that's been the area of a, a lot of focus. But um, as Matthew said, I think a lot of a lot of companies are concluding that they're not and are choosing not to announce. Yeah, and there's, there's clearly a question in terms of the market abuse regulation. Is this a price sensitive piece of information which I should be announcing? Um, and that's something for 
companies have discussed with their brokers, with their lawyers. And I think we've, we've definitely seen some companies making specific announcements about this, having, having taken advice. Uh, worth noting for those companies though, that they do need to then uh, notify the Bank of England in advance of the terms of the announcement they're going to make. And clearly from a relationship perspective, that's uh, an important thing to do anyway, but, but is, is, is an explicit term of the uh, undertaking agreement. Matthew, Ed, I think we should wind up there. Thank you very much both. Um, we hope this has been useful to those listening and we're always available through the usual channels to answer any further queries that you may have. For more information on this topic, or to hear our other podcasts, please visit www.slaughterandmay.com. You can also subscribe to the Slaughter and May podcast on iTunes or Google Play.